everyone, and welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. This is episode 20, and as always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Today, we have a great co- uh, conversation with Brandon Mackey of the Internal Budget Podcast and Silver 7 Sens. Uh, Brandon's a great guy. I had him on, I think, for episode 5 back in early December uh, when there was not much to talk about. It was more just prospects and upcoming World Juniors. Uh, it's crazy to think about how far we've come um, you know, in a couple months here. But, uh, yeah, we talked about a whole bunch of things on the, the Sens past week or so and uh, includes, uh, you know, guys that we like. There was a lot of Austin Watson talk, surprisingly. Um, and not, not bad stuff either. Um, you know, more good. Uh, the goalie situation was a big thing as well. But I think everyone will really like this talk. Uh, as always, I just wanted to say a quick thank you for all the support. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff and the uh, podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. And that Last Word on Sends Twitter account has gotten up to, I think, 420 followers already. A very nice number, if you ask me. Um, but it, it's honestly insane to see the growth, uh, just how many people are following the podcast account for, you know, just because, really. Uh, it's honestly amazing to see it, and it means a lot. So um, thank you for all the support that everyone has given. And, uh, yeah, if there's anyone you want to hear again going forward, let me know. Uh, I'm always open to, you know, uh, new people or new, new guests, and I'm, I'm always looking for uh, different people to chat to and get, get different opinions on. So um, without further ado, I'll, I'll stop rambling. Uh, I think you guys will really – everyone will really enjoy this uh, podcast here with Brandon. We got into a whole bunch of stuff, and, uh, yeah, I will talk to you all next week. Joining me now, he's a staff writer for Silver 7 Cents. He's also the host of the Internal Budget Podcast, Brandon Mackey. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me again. Uh, how's it going today, man? Doing well. Thank you back. Thank you for uh, having me back on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. I think last time we were on, we were uh, it was right as hockey was starting to get going again, but it was the college stuff, I think, is all we really had to talk about. And uh, um, I, I promised I'd get you back on when there was actual stuff to talk about. <laughs> and, um, you know, finally, we're, we're in the swing of things, you know, uh, this has been a, a rare down week for the Ottawa Senators where they really um, they're, they're in their stretch of five days off. It feels like every team got a, a week or two off just throughout the, this hectic season. But um, this is kind of Ottawa stretch right now. So they haven't actually played since Wednesday. Obviously, we're recording on a Sunday afternoon and they have a game tomorrow. But, um, you know, there's still lots to talk about over this past week. I haven't recorded in a week and a half or so. Um, so, you know, let's get into the games. We'll, we'll kind of combine the two Oilers games together because um, – they were both garbage, frankly. Um, I, I don't care to spend too much time on either of them. Uh, it was funny, you know, last week I, I, I um, was kind of talking about how it felt like this team really didn't have two bad games in a row. I had Chris Stevenson on from TSN and, you know, our big talking point was it felt like, you know, lately, um, you know, to start the year, it was just bad game after bad game. But lately it was like they'd have a stinker and then they come out and play pretty well the next day. Of course, literally the two days after we start recording that podcast, they come out with just two of the worst games I've seen them play in a while. Um, you know, I, I, it feels like Edmonton just kind of has their number this year. Yeah, it's kind of weird. And I guess it makes sense when you think about it and you're talking about the Edmonton Oilers who have two of, if not the two best hockey players in the world on their team in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And you put them in front of a team like the Ottawa Senators who struggle defensively at the best of times and have struggled in net at the best of times. Matt Murray has not been consistently good this year. He's been good at times, but not consistently good. Marcus Hogberg, yeah, before he got hurt, was dreadful, frankly. I don't think he had one good game under his belt before he got hurt. Joey Decord showed flashes, uh, but even him in that second game against Edmonton, Nothing to write home about, you know, and not his fault that the Senators got blown out the way they did, but he didn't steal the game for them. So I think when you combine those factors, it makes sense that Edmonton has kind of, like you said, had Ottawa's number. But 
But at the same time, should Ottawa have beaten them at least one time in, what is it now, seven tries? Yeah, I think so. I don't think the Ottawa Senators are that bad of a team where they should lose to anybody seven times in a row. But them's the breaks sometimes. This is the division that we have this year and, you know, the kind of structure of the season. So I think Ottawa's always going to struggle against teams like Edmonton. But, I mean, if you can beat the Leafs three times, I think it is now. Yeah, three times, and you can beat the Oilers. So it's puzzling and not puzzling at the same time. Yeah, there's just, I don't think anyone was expecting Otto to come in and just dominate Edmonton and win every other game or anything like that. But, you know, just there's so much parity in the NHL that even like you think over the course of a full year, even a team like the Buffalo Sabres should be beating every team once if you have nine times to play, you know, and like you just even look at last year and like Montreal wasn't a great team last year, but just the god awful Detroit Red Wings, one of the worst teams I've seen ice, they beat them four times. And it's just like, there's so much parity that on any given night, you think if you're playing a team nine times, you'd steal one. And they still have a couple opportunities going forward here, but it's been like, you know, the first two times they played Edmonton dominated. I thought Ottawa, the second two times, I thought Ottawa played much better. You know, they shut McDavid yeah. and dry settle down, got a little unlucky. Some of the depth scoring actually stepped up and that's just how the puck bounces. But yeah, this was just, it was ugly games really. I mean, um, you know, it was, it was really ugly in the sense that not only was the score bad, a forgettable game, but you've that absolutely nasty spill from Colin White that honestly, I was Oof. worried his season was going to be over. I, I'm so happy that, you know, it ended up just being a short term thing. But, um, you know, Ryan Dezingle went pretty hard into the boards. I think that first game as well, um, you know, didn't yep. put much weight on his leg coming off. But it, it was just overall just one of those things where, um, you know, I, I don't even want to spend too, too much time on it because, it's just games you kind of, I almost forgot they happened because, you know, um, again, about this team, I think one of the coolest things, you know, despite the clear lack of talent up and down the lineup at some nights, um, they seem to be able to just put some bad stretches behind them and play some better hockey, which, uh, you know, leading right into the next game against Toronto here, you mentioned earlier, it's been three, three games. Now I think they've taken points off Toronto and, um, you know, this was another one where Toronto, I believe they were on the second game of back-to-back and Ottawa mm-hmm. did exactly what Ottawa was supposed to do this year. Just kind of take points when you, you're, you're expected to take the points. And uh, they played a really, really solid game, I thought. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, there's an expression in professional sports that I heard a lot during my football days and I've heard a lot with regards to hockey as well. It's there are certain games where you just burn the tape, you know, and I think that's the best way to describe those Edmonton games is look, you know, for all the analytics and analysis that we can give and intangibles, you factor everything in. Sometimes it's just not your night. Like sometimes you're going to go out there. Things are not going to bounce your way and you're going to get run off the ice. That, that's just hockey. That's just sports in general. It happens at every level in every league. So I think of that has a lot to do with the way the senators played against the Leafs on that Sunday. They're coming off a stretch in Edmonton. That was bad. And it pisses you off when you get, you know, when you get lit up like that, but by the same token, you kind of have to put it behind you. You have to have a short-term memory, and the Senators did that. They came out hard against the Leafs. They got some good bounces. Like Michael Hutchinson was not good to start that game. The Senators scored two goals on the Leafs that, frankly, should have been stopped. And even near the end of the game, they did have a little bit of a collapse where Sheldon Keefe pulled the goalie with, what was it, like six minutes left six or something like that? Or something stupid yeah. like that. Yeah, and the Leafs scored two goals and made it a game. Um, but you know, that's, that's what the senators are going to have to do. Uh, they're going to have to win some ugly games. They're not going to blow many teams out this year. Um, I think the one dom truly dominant win that they had was the one against the Leafs in the first game of the season. And that's been it. And even then it was only like five, three or something like that. So I think ultimately, uh, you're right. They did what they're supposed to do. They took, uh, they took points off a tired team. Uh, they took advantage of that situation and then they won a tough game down the stretch. 
Um, and those are the wins that are going to mold the Senators into a contender as they go forward. Uh, the key is going to be not letting frustration set in when things don't go your way. Like those two games against Vancouver and Justin Morissette and I talked about this on my podcast and, you know, Ottawa should have taken at least one of those games, but sometimes you just get goalied or things again, things don't bounce your way. So I think for a young team, that's going to be the important lesson this year is just resilience when things aren't going your way. And they showed a lot of that against Toronto and even continuing into the two game stretch against Vancouver. So despite some of the not so great results, I've been really impressed with the Ottawa senators lately. Yeah, me too. I, I think you make, you know, a great point. Uh, it feels like Ottawa has been on the back end of just some brutal goaltending this year at times, you know, especially early in the year. And, you know, the defensive structure doesn't help that, but uh, you know, neither does just your goalies letting in muffins from the point, which happened well, I, occasionally, I think, right? Yeah. I think a lot of it too, and not to cut you off, but I don't know if it's a structural issue so much as a personnel issue. Um, if you look at the senators on the back end, even their best defenders like Thomas Shabbat and Nikita Zaitsev, who's been one of their best defenders and Artem Zub, they've had games where they haven't played well defensively. Uh, I don't think Shabbat is totally healthy, to be honest with you. He just hasn't looked the same since he had that injury early in the season. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. But, I mean, Eric Goodbranson, who I know Sense Twitter loves to rag on, um, again, I've said it ad nauseum, seems like a great guy, seems fantastic in the room, just has not been provided what they needed defensively. He's a defensive black hole. If you look at his isolated impact on HockeyVisit.com, it is, it is bleak in his own end of the ice. Uh, Mike Riley has certainly improved, but even he is not a defensive stalwart. Eric Brandstrom, as good as he's been offensively, has not been good in his own end of the ice. Uh, and that's why one of the, I'm sure we'll talk about it after, but that's one of the reasons I think being in Belleville right now is probably the best thing for him. Uh, and even from there, like who else? Josh Brown, Braden Coburn have not provided what the Senators need defensively. So I think you've seen some good stuff defensively, defensively from a lot of their forwards. I think Brady Kachuk has been fantastic in his own end of the ice. Josh Norris has been really good in his own end. Even Tim Stutzler has shown signs of improvement defensively, um, however small they may be. So I think at a certain point, you just kind of have to point to this roster and go, what you see is what you get. You know, like you, you get what you pay for. And in guys like Braden Coburn and Eric Branson, who – probably belong on a team's third pairing. If you have those guys playing upwards of 15, 17 minutes a night on a second pairing, you're going to get what you ask for. Right. So, you know, not to be too hard on those guys, but I think it is more of a personnel thing than it is a structural thing, you know? For sure. And I would almost go as far to argue that uh, Coburn and Gabranson probably aren't NHL regulars at this point. I think Gabranson, I, I honestly, I think he's a perfect seventh defenseman. You can sub him in on a back-to-backs when you, you need to give a guy a break or whatever. And he'll, again, if he's playing third pair minutes, it's probably not as bad, but we've just seen so many times where the decision-making, the foot speed, it's just not quite there anymore. Um, and, and I think that's kind of why the narrative has changed from Ottawa where um, despite all those, what you said, I think it's all valid points. There was still just some, some times early in the year where Matt Murray would just let an absolute muffin from the point go in. And it's like, okay, I, I, I get the defense is bad in front of you, but you gotta have that one. And, um, you know, lately to, I think to cord being in there has been a big help, but even to Matt Murray's credit, I thought he's played a lot better in the past two or three weeks than he did say 
the first two or three weeks of the season. And, you know, there's still those defensive laps, but um, it, it was nice finally seeing it go the other way against Toronto where Hutchinson let in two of the worst goals I think I've, I've seen this year. And we, we've seen some pretty bad ones watching the Senators, but my word, like that second one that the single scored where he just, yeah. he, he opened them up like it was a peewee rep kid playing against an Adam local league goaltender. And it was just one of those things where you could tell that he did not have it and he was done within five minutes. And yeah, uh, to, to Ottawa's credit, I thought, you know, the Toronto had a nice bounce back, but I really thought Ottawa played strong and hard for all the way up until about 10 minutes left in the third. And then they kind of sat back into coasting mode and it, it almost cost them when they, they almost blew a 4-1 lead. But, you know, they, they figured out a way to grind through it and, uh, you know, kept the game, uh, kept the two points away from Toronto. So, uh, and then, you know, you get in that Vancouver game and, you know, I, I didn't get to watch all of the second one. Uh, I didn't have a computer this week and, you know, I was just a little busy with schoolwork, but um i thought those were you know what i got to watch especially that first game and the second game seemed like it was pretty similar those were two of the more entertaining games of the season especially as a loss i think you know you nailed it perfectly where ottawa probably should have had at least one if not both of the games uh in the, in the bag, the fact that they came out with two of four points and both were overtime losses is uh, disappointing. But, you know, if they're going to lose, I, I will take them losing games like that all year because it's just it's way better than getting your doors kicked in 7-1. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are dissatisfied with the idea of moral victories in professional sports. But when you're a team like the Ottawa Senators, who is just starting to build the foundation of this competitive team, you kind of have to take those games. I think personally two points in a set of two games against a team like the Vancouver Canucks. I think that's fine. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I know there are going to be people who disagree and they're going to want the senators to at least take one of those games. I understand that. I mean, realistically in that second game, when Evgeny Dadanov went offside, it's probably the game right there. You know, you got Thomas Shabbat on one side of Evgeny Dadanov on the other, as good as Thatcher Demko was playing. I liked Ottawa's chances in that situation. That said, uh, when you have this team, what did, how many did they lose? Like nine in a row to start at the beginning of the season? You know, like I think two overtime losses in a row on home ice, not the end of the world. And all things considered, like people can get pissed off all they want. The Senators were on their third goaltender and then their fourth. You know, um, as good as Joey Decord and Philip Gustafson are, those are probably not guys who should be thrust into starting NHL roles right now. I don't think that's unfair to say it's not a knock on them. It's just the reality of the fact that the courts really only had the one big season in Belleville Gustafson. It was his first NHL game. It's just not a fair spot to be putting those guys in. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, I know we'll probably talk about Anton Forsberg in a bit, um, but I think that's going to be a huge claim for the Sens, uh, regardless of how well he plays. But I think ultimately as disappointing as it is to not get a win in two of those games, and as frustrating as it is to have not beaten Vancouver this year, I'm taking, you know, two overtime points at home in two games. I'm taking that all day. Yeah. And I think to me, you know, the, the biggest thing for this team this year is I really don't care about the points. If I'm being honest, I mean, obviously you want to win more than you want to lose. That's goes without saying, but at the end of the day, this is another rebuilding year. You know, you want to see progress from your young guys, but if you end up in that bottom three spot and get another chance at a top three pick or top five pick or whatever, perfect. Yeah. You know, as long as your young guys are growing, that's the ideal year. And when things like this happen, I, I'm okay with it because, you know, again, like there's so much of a difference in getting your blows, your doors blown off by seven, one by the Oilers where you just were never in it, or you could just absolutely dominate it at five on five all game. 
both mm-hmm. of these games, Ottawa dominated at five on five. You know, the possession, the expected goals, just watching them, you could tell they were the, they looked like the better team for two nights out there. And I mean, Vancouver was missing Pedersen, which is a big loss for them, obviously. But, yeah. you know, they, they, Ottawa still took advantage of that. And that's just kind of what I want to see this year. If you, you know, the wins will come if you keep playing like that. And, and that's the most important thing to me when, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're getting, you're doing the, the steps right that will lead to wins, not just now, but in the future. And, you know, that's why I think, Again, yeah, it's it's tough to sell moral victories to guys who are making millions and millions of dollars. But at the same time, that's kind of where this team is. And I think anyone who came in with different expectations in the year were just probably misguided if you expected this team to be yeah. any better than that. Right? And, and look, and look, like wins are important because if you want guys to buy into a culture and a system that you're trying to build, you have to show them results. If you're, and that was a big problem, I think, with Guy Boucher's system by the end was the team was not winning games. It was not working. And then that's how a coach loses a room. So I think for the Sens, if you want these young cats to buy into their coach's system, into their GM's roster construction, and if you want them to stay longer term, you know, like, oh, there's a little player named uh, Brady Kachuk who needs a new contract at the end of the year. You need to win games and you need to show them that this is trending in a positive direction, especially a player like Brady who any team in the National Hockey League will take him. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this gets drawn out that he gets an offer sheet or two. Like, it really would not shock me, even a, even in a COVID year. So, ultimately, I think winning is important to a degree. But like you said, you want to see progress. Um, Drake Batherson is a prime example of that. That's a guy who went from a fringe NHLer last year to a bona fide top six forward this year. Um, Tim Stutzla, for all his struggles defensively, is producing at a rate – probably only in the same ballpark as Kirill Kaprizov in terms of rookies this year or rookies I say with air quotes <laughs> regarding Kaprizov but yeah I mean I think it's the best you can hope for I think the young players are taking steps you do need to win but at the same time you know don't cry over spilt milk and especially don't cry over two overtime losses to the Vancouver Canucks you know Absolutely. And it's not like they haven't like they're three, five and two in their last 10. And again, like that could have very easily been five, five and oh, or four, exactly. four and one. And so, or, you know, it's, it's absolutely not bad. And um, um, it's not like the Buffalo Sabres where I think, you know, that's the <laughs> team you can link it back to where at the time of recording they're minus 40 on the year in goal differential and they've lost 13 in a row. They're oh, nine and one in their last 10. It's oh. not like that's happening in Ottawa right now. And I know it felt like that at the beginning of the year, um, but that's, it's changed so much. And that's why it's like, again, you know, you want to see, I, I'd be totally cool if they rattle off four or five wins in a row, that would be awesome. You know, especially mm-hmm. if it's, you know, coming off the backs of the young guys, if it doesn't happen though, and they go one win, one loss, it's just, I don't think it's the worst thing. As long as you, it's clear, there's a system there because I do, you know, it's a great point to, if you lose so many, you're going to lose the coach, but I do think there's something probably in the locker room too, where guys like Brady Kachuk probably realize if they're out playing teams, like they did in Vancouver there, and they come up with a couple losses, it's going to happen, but that'll change as you keep doing the processes and the right steps. Yeah. And it's so different from last year too, where this team needed to lose. Like he needed to lose a lot of games uh, to get that high pick because you needed that impact player, right? Now they're in a different spot where they've got their impact player in Tim Stutzla. They've got their core in guys like Brady Kachuk, Colin White, Thomas Shabbat. You're seeing the team kind of come together in a more cohesive sense. They still need help on the blue line, and hopefully you get that in the form of Jacob Bernard Docker and maybe Jake Sanderson next year. Um, but this year you can kind of take it as it comes, where it's like if they win, great. Like they're they're improving. Maybe they even sneak into the playoffs and you get some valuable experience. 
But if they lose, you're still getting a high pick. So there really is no losing for the Ottawa Senators this year. Like they can totally bottom out, get another lottery pick and be even more set up for the future. Or they can build some valuable experience, beat some good teams. Like I said, it's not going to happen now. But, you know, if they had snuck into the playoffs, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world either. Um, Whereas last year, that would have been an unmitigated disaster. They might have been bailed out by San Jose's pick still becoming Stutzla, but the point stands, right? So I think for Ottawa fans this year, it's just, it makes everything a little more fun. And I think that's where the whole sickos movement has kind of evolved from just in the fact that no matter what happens, the Sens win, the Sens fans win. Uh, And I think that is just a breath of fresh air from last year, especially after, you know, we went almost, I think we went 10 months without an Ottawa senators game. Um, so to have that kind of positivity around the team again has really, really been nice to be around after the disaster that the last probably three years prior has been. Well, yeah. And I think just, you know, I mean, we both try to speak as analysts a lot of this team, you know, where you try and keep a level head and look at things objectively. But I know I'm, I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm sure you feel the same way. You know, as a fan last year, it sucked just almost cheering against the team because you wanted to see them lose. Like, as you said, they needed a high draft pick. And the only way that's happening is for them to lose hockey games. So it was almost like when they won hockey games, unless it was like Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat carrying the team, you didn't want to see them win at all. And this year it's just so much different because it's like, yes, when they win, it's like if it's Drake Batherson and Norris and Kachuk and, you know, just a whole handful of guys who you can see clearly being here in the future, that's the reason they win. It's so nice to see. And it's just nice not having to cheer against the team anymore, you know, in from a tanking perspective. And so, you know, I think that's been the biggest change this year as well. And uh, let's get into the goaltending because that's been honestly just the most unfortunate part of this week. Uh, you know, I, I said, I thought Matt yeah. Murray, he's been a big talk of discussion. It feels like he plays one real good game, one real bad game. That's how he's kind of been lately. But that was still, you know, he looked like he was finding his game and he gets injured in, you know, the warm-up. I think it was a couple nights or the three games ago and mm-hmm. Decord gets told he's going in pretty early. And, uh, you know, unfortunate for Murray. Hopefully he's okay soon enough. There's no, as far as I've seen, there's been no actual timetable set yet. Believe he's week to week and they're hoping to have him back by the end of the month. But. Yeah. So, and then, you know, we go, okay, well, now what do they do? So they claim Forsberg because they're like, we, we want some more backup from Decord. That move ended up being a lot better than they even they could predict it. You know, Forsberg had to quarantine for seven days, but Joey Decord has a high ankle sprain and goes down. And well, he didn't have to quarantine, right? Because he chartered a flight. That's why he was right. Able sorry, to but it was still seven days and four negative tests, I believe. Is, he is doesn't. What it, he doesn't have to because he's going bubble to bubble. So they oh, chartered cool. a okay. they chartered a flight to get him from Winnipeg to Ottawa, and because it was a charter flight, they they ruled that he didn't have to quarantine. So that's why he was able to start for Belleville last night. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go take that to Bruce Garriott because he was given false information on the time. Well, that's, well, well, that's where I got it from. Boo Boo updated it. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's that, that move ends up being a, a way bigger um, look at even than I think what Ottawa would have assumed when they claimed him. You know, it, it made enough sense that, you know, I would have been okay if it was just one or two games that you had Gustafson starting. If Murray was going to be back within a week or two, it would have been okay. But I understand wanting the depth there because it's a lot to ask of Decord, who's a young guy, and Gustafson. And then Decord goes down, and this is just heartbreaking, man. You know, a guy who just so much hope for the organization. He, he's, you know, I, I know a lot of people have been on the hype train for a little bit now and, and more people obviously picked up on it this year. He just, he started to look like he was finally really going to break out and just a, an injury such as a high ankle sprain is just such a pain in the ass to come back yeah, from too. And, it is. Um, you know, so now you got Gustafson 
Mandalese and, and Forsberg. So it'll probably be Gustafson and Forsberg. I would assume is the one, two going for Forsberg and Gustafson is the one, two going forward for a little bit here. Um, it, it's one of those things where I think it's just going to be another test for your young team to see how they, how they respond to it, because there's a couple ways I think they can, they can answer this, you know, they can go, Oh, we're on our fourth and fifth string goalie. What do you want us to do? Or they can go, Hey, our fourth and fifth string goalies are here. Let's just go play hard in front of them and, and make their job as easy as possible. Yeah. And I think with regards to Joey Decord, the one reason that I'm not, you know, I don't want to say heartbroken, but I'm not sweating it too much is because I just, I know how confident he is. And I know mentally that's not a guy you're going to shake. So it's frustrating for sure to probably lose the, the rest of your season when he was playing so well. And, and when he was being relied upon so much, I mean, he's a 24 year old goaltender that played four games in six nights. Like that's not heard of very often in the NHL, especially on a team like the senators. So yeah, I think he'll be all right long-term just because mentally he's so tough and, and he'll come back from it probably even more motivated to stake his claim to a spot on this team. Now, with in talking about what the Senators are going to do going forward, that Forsberg claim proved to be prophetic, um, you know, just with the, the happenstance and the bad luck of Decord going down. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think you're right. I think if, you know, if you knew Matt Murray was going to be back by the end of, say, next week, then you'd probably give Gustafson a couple games, see what he can do, maybe even just give him one. The issue is there's no alternative from there. Uh, before the claiming Forsberg, the Ottawa Senators were down to Kevin Mandelis, who has played two professional games, both in the AHL, got a huge win on Friday in which he played fantastic. Uh, and then Cedric Andre, who was is on an amateur tryout with the with Belleville, a guy who was straight out of the OHL last year. So there is no alternative to claiming a guy. And in a normal season, maybe you go for somebody other than Anton Forsberg. Maybe you make a trade, but with the quarantine requirements, it's just not feasible for the senators to do that. Like you can't go two weeks with a tandem of Gustafson and Mandalese and God forbid one of them gets hurt. And then you're really in trouble. So I think Forsberg, regardless of how well he plays, he just needs to be a warm body. I think ultimately when one of Murray or Hogberg comes back, Forsberg probably gets waived again. Maybe he gets picked up by another team. I mean, goaltenders oftentimes don't clear waivers. Um, so he could just be, it could be a short stay in Ottawa for him. It could be just a couple weeks, but it, it comes at exactly the right time. My expectations aren't high. Frankly, I really don't care. Uh, how well Anton Forsberg plays. He just, again, he just needs to be a warm body. Maybe you give Gustafson one of those games uh, coming up. It depends on how long Murray or Hogberg are going to be out for. Doesn't sound like they're particularly close on either count. Um, and the Murray thing too, not to go off on too much of a tangent is interesting because apparently he wasn't hurt in warm up. He was hurt from before and he went into warm up to test it out. And apparently he told Decord to be ready to go in. Uh, to be ready to start and sure enough he couldn't get through warm-up and and Joey had to take the start and ended up playing for the next week right so I mean it's so tough when we have such a lack of clarity on what's going on all we know is Murray is upper body and I believe Hogberg is lower body so you know it, I, I don't know when we're gonna see those guys again uh, but they need to get back and for Murray especially I felt really bad just because like you said that's a guy who was starting to figure it out. And I think people have been way too hard on Matt Murray this year. Um, again, he has not been consistently good on a night-to-night -night basis. But by the same token, it is a strange season. He's with a new team. Uh, and 
the Senators are defensively terrible. So I, I think Murray is still the solution for this team, at least in the next few years. Um, I still think that contract is going to pay off and, and everything's going to be hunky dory on that front. But I mean, you know, I, again, I'm gutted for the guy who was feeling like feeling like he was starting to play better. You know what I mean? Like he was feeling like he was capable of stealing some games for this team. So I just hope he can get back soon. And same can be said of Marcus Hogberg, because that is a guy who came into the season with a ton of promise after playing so well last year and frankly could not stop a beach ball at the start of the season. So I'm hoping both of those guys get back and healthy soon because I want to see both of them succeed. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not as sold on the Murray contract maybe as you, but I do want to see him succeed because, you know, he just seems like a genuinely good guy. It seems like his teammates really like him. The stories I've heard from Pittsburgh and he really just wasn't treated right in Pittsburgh for a dude who won two Stanley cups for their team, but no kidding. Right. He was the guy who came in and replaced Andre Fleury, Mark Andre Fleury. And like the city didn't like him for that, despite what he did for them. So I I do genuinely want to see him succeed. Um, I know not many people are going to feel bad because he's falling back on a, $28 $28 million paycheck or whatever it is over the length of the contract. But at the same time, it's just, you never want to see someone on your team fail. And um, just w- with re- response to, you know, where uh, I think Gustafson's going to play, Otto's got a back-to-back this week. And again, it doesn't really sound like Murray or Hoberg will be back um, by Thursday. So I would really be surprised if um, Gustafson doesn't get one of the Wednesday or Thursday starts here. You know, they play Calgary Monday, Calgary Wednesday, Calgary or Toronto Thursday. So I I think, and then they have till Sunday off. So I I think we'll probably see, uh, I would be expecting maybe Forsberg to play two of those and then uh, Gustafson to play one. If I had to guess, unless unless Forsberg just is lights out or something like that. Yeah. If I'm DJ Smith, I'm giving Forsberg Monday and Thursday. I don't want to throw Gustafson in his second NHL game against the Leafs, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, we rag on the Leafs and sense Twitter a lot, but that's a damn good hockey team. And that is a potent offensive attack. And now that they're getting healthy, they're looking pretty scary. They look, they looked pretty good last night. Uh, Especially on night two of a back-to-back too. Right. Yeah. If it was game one, I think I would, I would, I'd be fine because Ottawa usually comes to play against the Leafs, but night two is just, it's a lot to ask for. Yeah. And there's just no need to ask that much of a kid who's what 21, 22, you know, in a season like this, um, it's just not worth it. I would throw Forsberg that game, give, uh, give Gustafson the Calgary game, um, not taking anything away from Calgary because they're playing a lot better these days too. But I just think that's the best way to handle it with a young goaltender uh, and, and one who's coming off a situation where he hasn't played a lot of hockey last, last, uh, what did they play Saturday? Yeah. Saturday afternoon was, I think Forsberg's first win in like, you know, over a calendar year. So at first game in over a calendar year. So I'm anxious to see what he can do. Um, I'm interested to see if he can just provide the modicum of support that the Senators need. His career NHL number, numbers are nothing to write home about. I think he's got like close to a 900 save percentage or something like that over his career. But, you know, I'm sure the Senators will play hard in front of him. Um, they've shown that they're able to do that with the likes of Decord and guys having to come in in a relief role. Um, but yeah, I mean, with with a young goalie, I don't see any reason to kind of to play it any other way than that. I mean, why would you throw Gustafson in against Toronto on a, you know, on a Thursday night? And is Ottawa in Toronto for that game? Uh, no, they're both at home. It looks like. Oh, okay. Well, that's, in, so. yeah, that's better at least. But I mean, yeah, I, I'm giving Forsberg the Toronto game. If you get lit up, who cares? I don't, you know, don't have Gustafson get shelled in that game. Yeah, I would agree. Off topic. Is there any reason that this Wednesday game starts at 5 p.m. and not 7 it's a 5 p.m. start, according to Google here, and I don't understand why. They're playing oh Calgary. God, I wonder if 
Calgary fans have got to be pissed about that. Yeah, that's like, like an afternoon game on a Wednesday. Yeah, it'll be like a 3 p.m. or 2 p.m. start. A 3 p.m., I think, but it's not a holiday that I can, unless it's a holiday in Calgary, but no. like it's I think, not here. I think maybe they're, um, I think maybe it's just a scheduling team. Like I've seen a lot of American teams that have had to play like 5 p.m. games on weeknights and stuff like that. Florida's been getting hammered with a bunch of those. So I don't know if they just want to try and maybe they're just testing out if ratings still work at 5 p.m. when they, you know, in a pandemic when maybe more people will be home still. But yeah, I saw that. I was like, what on earth is that? That doesn't make much sense to me. But um, yeah, that was off topic. I mean, like the Ducks and Wild play at 530 that night, too. That's weird, man. And like, that, that that's weird. two Western teams, right? Like, no, I, yeah. I don't know. It seems strange to me, but um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's, let's go from some other spots. I wanted to touch on um, one or two players that I've been surprisingly um, happy with this year, I think. And, you know, bright spots in a minor way, but bright spots nonetheless. And the first is Clark Bishop. Um, I know I've seen you tweet about him a couple of times. And, um, you know, again, I haven't got to watch too much. This is still a really small sample. It's 33 minutes at, at five on five, but he's been a really good option on that fourth line so far. Um, you know, he's leading the team forwards in Corsi four percentage and expected goals. He's at a 75% expected goals rate right now, which is obviously way unsustainable, short sample and whatever. But the fact of the matter is in his four game samples, he has looked like a very useful option on the fourth line that can provide a bit of a spark, go out and just not get killed when he's out there. And, you know, maybe even play a little bit above average and, I think that's really cool considering we had no idea what, if we were getting anything from him. I think a lot of it has to do with just the injection of speed that he brings to the fourth line. He's a, he's very fleet of foot. Um, he can move. And I, that's something that Ottawa has struggled to find on their fourth line this year. Uh, when you're putting Artem and Isamov out there, you're just not going to get a lot in the way of speed up the middle. Even Austin Watson is a guy who's played really well in his role, but is not particularly quick. So when you, create create this fourth line that I think is really well structured because you have a good genesis of grit and skill, which is what a fourth line should be. Um, it should be able to provide secondary scoring when it can, but ultimately it's just to be responsible and not get caved in. Uh, so when you have Bishop out there with Dezingle, I think that creates a really good tandem in the sense that both guys have a little bit of skill. Both guys can move. Dezingle's the shooter of the line. Uh, he can score goals. As we've seen, he's already scored a few goals in Ottawa. Uh, since since coming back here via trade so I think Bishop just brings that he brings that little bit of energy that little bit of boost you can throw him out there late in the game and he's still going to be fresh and you know if all even if things don't go well Austin Watson will block a shot with his throat and you'll be all right so I, I think that's the biggest thing I think his speed is what makes him an impact player and obviously his numbers are inflated and they're not sustainable but I think ultimately he'll be a good contributor for this team, uh, at, you know, for however long he's on that fourth line. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, you know, anything on your fourth line, that's just around 50% is all you really want to ask for. I think, you know, you see the good teams built out and I know we talk a lot about depth, but if you look at any Stanley cup winning team, it's the big guys carry the load and the way that, you know, they get by is the fourth lines chipping a goal here or there, but usually they just play not to lose. And I don't mean that in terms of like, they're just getting shelled defensively, but they play 50% possession hockey. They get a chance here or there. They don't let too much up. They get off the ice and they let the big guys do the work. And, you know, that's um, I'm not sure if that's what Bishop's role will be long-term, but even just the fact that, you know, he's been able to do that in a short thing is just so refreshing. Cause you know, he, as you said, his speed and, I know Cedric Paquette got ragged on a lot, but it's not like he was very fleet of foot either uh, in terms of just burning guys up the ice. So it's been nice to see. And Austin Watson was the other guy I wanted to bring up, you know, 
still not sold on the trade. I don't know if that's necessarily the guy you give up a pick for. That being said, I, I don't have any complaints with what he's done on the fourth line. I think there's been way bigger issues on this team so far this year, and that's all you can really ask for. Um, you know, his his underlying numbers are fine. Um, you know, he's evolving hockey. His, his goals above replacement have been really good. I think he was like 30th among all forwards in the league, and his defensive goals above replacement are like third among all forwards in the league, which like, again, I think that is a little out of proportion, but just it goes to show that he is playing responsible enough defensively. And I don't think you should ask too much more to your fourth line. So like if you have guys like Bishop Watson to Zingle and that's your fourth line, I'm quite okay with that. You know? Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I think with Watson in particular, it's just seeing how much his game has had a resurgence from last year like his numbers were not good last year uh so as far as the trade goes i liked it from the beginning i still like it i think it's just because if you look at the senator's right wing situation at the time it was bleak like they had no depth it was connor brown and drake batherson and i believe they made that trade before they signed dadnov or it was around the same or two it was around the week yeah so it was around the same time so within a few days the ottawa senators had totally fixed their situation on the right wing um watson is not a guy who is going to be flashy or is a sexy player by any means but he blocks shots his teammates love him he throws hits he fights when he can he, when he and he scores a few goals here and there so i think that's about like you said all you can ask for from a fourth line guy uh and i think in that sense the trade was a victory the pick wasn't high that they gave up for him uh, they still have a relative wealth of picks over the next couple of years so i like the watson trade i still do and i think he is your perfect fourth liner on a team like this like your prototypical fourth line right winger yeah i mean i, I think it's um you know, I, I especially I wasn't uh, I wasn't thrilled at the beginning of the year, but I think really as the years come along, he seemed to get more comfortable with this team too, and he's kind of he's kind of molded into a role. And I think at times, even from myself, I think he maybe got an unfair rap because you know he was brought in to be not just the enforcer, obviously, but one of the tougher guys. And you know, the team still felt the need, even though they had Austin Watson, who'll do a bunch of the tough stuff you need him to. They still felt the need to dress the Coburns and the Michael Haley's of the world, and that's not really his fault. It's it's the team, but it more got put on his shoulders. I think it's like, well, then what's he here for? Where in reality, again, I'm not against grit or anything like that. You just need to have a little bit of skill too. And I think awesome Watson is molding into that player where he can do a little bit of both, especially for a young team right now where, um, you know, I, I've gone definitely from the spot where it's like, I didn't really care to see him in the lineup to now it's, I don't, like I'm not, I'm not in love with him or anything, but it's just whatever. Like I, I think there's much bigger issues that this team needs to focus on going forward than Austin Watson on their fourth line right wing, right? Like, yeah. And would a guy ha- like Rudolph Balsers, for instance, have provided more skill? Yes, but I don't know if he would be an all-around more useful player in that role. Um, I don't think there's any denying that Rudy is going to give you more in the way of offense, and I don't think it was good asset management by the Senators to let him go for for free on waivers. But by the same token, when again, when you're talking about a fourth line, a guy that's going to be deployed in mainly a defensive checking role, I think Watson is the perfect fit for that. I also think a lot um, has been devoted to making the young players understand that nobody rides for free. And we made a lot out of Colin White being scratched at the beginning of the year, and rightfully so. I'm not convinced that that had more to do with Colin White 
than it did the rest of the team. Like I think Colin White was used as an example of a guy that's been there for a while and said, hey, listen, if you're not giving us your best, you're not going to play. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, was that the right thing to do? I don't know. I'm not in that room. I don't know how it was received. And I don't know how it affected Colin White. Maybe Colin White's having a fantastic season. Maybe he would have come out and done that anyway. Or maybe that stretch of sitting in the press box was the kick in the ass he needed to produce. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but I think Watson is a guy that you can build a culture around too. Um, I know a lot has been made of the incidents off the ice and I don't want to wade into that because I, I've written about it. I've talked about it and it is a not, uh, not a black and white issue, but in saying that um, that's a guy who literally goes out there and tries to block shots with his face. He blocked a shot with his throat, with his throat and came back and was like on the bench again, two minutes later. So I think when you're talking about building a culture of a team that wants to win, I don't think you can do much better than that guy. I'll say that much. He reminds me a lot of Chris Neal in, in that sense on the contending teams that the Senators had. Is he a guy who's going to light up the scoreboard? No, but he's going to give you energy. He's going to go live and die and do whatever it takes to win. He's going to block shots with his face if he needs to. He's going to fight if he needs to. And ultimately, he's just a guy that contributes to the culture. Like, you know, I was in the building for game five against the Rangers in 2017 uh, when Chris Neal jumped Tanner Glass. And there were a lot of people who were critical of Neal for doing that because it negated the power play. But the atmosphere turned in that building when it happened. It was a game where it felt like the Senators were on their heels for a lot of it, despite the fact that they had scored a few goals. Um, but things didn't really feel like it was they were going to go in Ottawa's favor until that happened. And maybe that's just me. Um, but I think a player like that is valuable, especially when this version of the senators gets to a point where they're contending and they're in the playoffs and they need that energy and they need a guy who's going to get the crowd into the game, or he's going to go block a shot and get his teammates into the game. So I really can't say enough about Austin Watson this year. Maybe that is him benefiting from the low expectations that I had for him going into the year. But again, I, I think as a fourth line player, uh, you can't do much better if that makes sense. You know, maybe you can find a guy with more skill, but the all around impact that Watson's going to have on the game, both tangibly and intangibly, I think that's hard to replace. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I won't get into the 2017 thing. I have a bit of a different take on it, but uh, not, not that I, again, sure there, there's, I, I just say momentum switch shifts are definitely a thing. It's just, I think so many of them happen in a game, but as you said, it is, can be important to have someone who actually helps those shifts and, you know, um, you know, gives that to you. And I think that's something that Austin Watson, um, you know, I don't think the, the one thing I think hockey culture just in general gets way too caught up on is thinking it's one specific moment and that's what changes the entire game. Sometimes it is, you know, sometimes it is, you see like um, the, the uh, Vegas San Jose playoff game where that, that yes. five minute happened. Yeah. Obviously that was one key moment that turned everything around, but I think a lot of the times it's a big hit followed up by a good scoring chance. And those yep. things, might be mutually exclusive. They don't have to, you know, come together. And it's those kind of things that build and build and build. And again, you can't say that one of them didn't do anything, but the other was all of it. And that goes the other way too, where it's, you can't discredit the hit or anything like that, but there's other factors at play. That being mm -hmm. said, you still need all of it. It's just, how do you weight it? And that's the toughest part of knowing how. And yeah. there's no right answer to that either, because you can't wait atmosphere or anything like that you know like yeah. there's no metric for momentum and um so i, I don't know that, that's always been my biggest thing but I, I i do agree where i you knew you need guys who 
um, are going to wake your, your team up when you, when you're kind of sleeping. And, you know, I mm-hmm. think, um, uh, again, like I think too much was maybe made sometimes of Tampa Bay bringing up like Barkley Goudreau and, um, blanking on the other guy they picked up lot Blake Coleman. Um, Coleman, yeah. I, I think those guys are more skilled maybe than your, your typical third liner where they're playing, but, definitely, um, yeah. they're definitely guys who, you know, Nikita Kucherov isn't going to go throw a massive hit, nor should he, but those right. two guys can. And I think that's the perfect kind of mix of skill and, um, grit if you want to call it that team should have and Austin Watson is obviously not them but if you have someone like that in a lesser role on a fourth line where mm-hmm. he can you know he's going to chip in a goal here or there but he's going to provide some intensity when you need it to that's not a bad thing to have. well well let me ask you this if you're talking about the Ottawa Senators last season and I ask you who are the energy players on this team at the end of last season you say Brady Kachuk do you have anyone else that comes to mind couldn't name half the players on the roster. <laughs> exactly. If I'm right? being like, completely honest. Right. Well, like before Pajot was traded, you probably would have said him. Yeah. Um, but Brady was it. Like you and Brady can't do everything. You know, he can, but he also can't be asked to. So I think to have a guy like Brady's going to be on your first line every day of the week and twice on Sundays. You know. Uh. So, but I don't think that he needs that he can be relied on as the sole guy that is going to drag people into the fight. I think you need an element of that from the bottom of your lineup too. I think Brady does it for the top half of the lineup and Austin Watson does it for the bottom half of the lineup. Um, Again, are we comparing Austin Watson and Brady Kachuk in terms of overall impact on hockey games? No, it's not a fair comparison in, in any sense of the word, but I do think you need two or three of those guys in your lineup. And I think Ottawa will get more of them. Like, you know, Parker Kelly might be in this lineup in a few years. That guy is just a pissant in Belleville. Everybody hates him every game he plays. It is so funny to watch. And I think he's going to be very effective in that role. Um, Even on the blue line, you know, like good Branson gets in people's faces, at least, you know, regardless of how well or not well he plays defensively. Um, Every now and then he does throw a big hit. Like I, we talk about little moments in a game. Uh, when the Senators won that shootout game in Calgary, I think a big moment was Eric Branson steamrolling Matthew Kachuk in the first period. You know, so yeah, I do think you need two or three of those guys throughout your lineup, and I think in that sense, Watson is a valuable asset for sure. We're and devoting biggest... a lot of time to Austin Watson. I did not think that was going to be <laughs> yeah, one of the no, subjects we talked a lot about. Yeah, I don't think people are maybe expecting it when they tune in, but this is what they get. Um, and the, quickly, we'll move on after this. But the one thing I wanted to um, give Watson credit for too is there's an ability to draw your team into the fight without actually taking a penalty, because I think that is one of the biggest skills that it's just so hard to get in the NHL where you see some guys who will draw your team into the fight, but you're taking a two minute roughing call, which takes them right out of the fight because you need a big PK Mm -hmm. then or anything like that, where Brady's um, that way too, right? Brady does a lot of the same thing. Yeah. And you know, and, and, you know, Brady, I think that's been one of my biggest criticisms where, um, you know, I think it's just, he's going to learn too. It's just, you got to learn what you can and can't get away with, but to Watson's credit, you know, he doesn't draw a ton of penalties, but he doesn't take many at all for how big of an agitator he is. That's a very big skill to have. So for sure. Um, uh, I got two more things really like that I wanted to touch on here. One, uh, we kind of touched about me and you on Twitter a lot, but I wanted to just talk about it on the podcast too. And that's Evgeny Dadanov in his play mm-hmm. this year. Um, you know, this maybe would have been more entertaining for the listener if I had someone else on this week who didn't agree with me on a lot of this <laughs> stuff. But I, I still think it, it's um, good because I do think that a large amount of the fan base has kind of 
started to turn on Dadanov. So I think having someone else on here who uh, is at least somewhat on my side about, you know, how he's played this year is good. And, you know, we've given our thoughts on it a lot on Twitter, if anyone sees us online. But basically, you know, yes, Dadanov needs to be better. Uh, two, nine goals and two assists is, you know, 11 points in 33 games. You want a little more production. But mm-hmm. the biggest question comes down to, is it his problem? Is it bad luck? Is it line mates? Is it a little bit of both? And that's where I kind of fall. I think it's, you know, I, I think, yes, he could obviously, you, you want to see him shoot a little more. You want to see him be a more, little more dangerous. That being said, I think he's just been genuinely, genuinely unlucky at times this year and playing him with like a Kachuk and a Norris for a long stretch of time. I really want to see that as well. Me too. Or even a Kachuk and a Colin White, right? Like just guys that can get him the puck and all he has to do is get into good positions and, rip some shots from the high slot. I think a lot, I disagree with a lot of the assessments I've seen of Evgeny Dadanov this year. Like people said, he's slow. I don't see that at all. Um, he chased down uh, in last game against Vancouver. He chased down a puck in the corner through a nice hit on the defender in the corner and generated a turnover. Um, I think, I don't think this is a guy just collecting a paycheck. Um, I think he is actively trying to contribute. I think he himself is probably frustrated with some of the lack of production he's had. And I think people had some of the wrong expectations of him too. Um, they see a 70 point guy coming from Florida and they expect him to be a line driver, but, but that's not Dadnov. Um, Dadnov is a guy who I would equate to probably a more skilled Mike Hoffman in the sense that he is made better by the players around him. So if you put Dadnov with Sasha Barkov and Jonathan Huberto, you're going to get a lot of production from him. But if you put him with Nick Paul and Chris Tierney and no disrespect to either of those guys, because they're good in their roles, you're not going to get a lot of points out of Dadanov because he's not playing with high skill offensive players. Now the criticism that I've seen a lot on Twitter is his lack of power play production. And that's a fair point because that is a situation where he is playing with high skilled players. He's on with Stutzla and Norris and Kachuk and Batherson and Shabbat most of the time. Um, so, and you're right. Like you especially made some great points about how, if you look at the underlying metrics, he is performing well, he's generating offense. He's not turning the puck over. The senators are maintaining the zone when he's out there. Um, it, some of it is just bad shooting luck. Like some of it is what, or him not shooting enough. I think that would probably be my biggest criticism is I want to see him rip some bombs from the high circle, you know? And like, and I think he's in the perfect position to do that. Uh, with Shabbat feeding him the puck or with Stutzla feeding him the puck. Uh, But I I don't think it is totally unfair to criticize him. Um, That said, I do think we also have to factor in what the Ottawa Senators power play looks like this year. It's the 26th ranked power play in the league. Like there aren't a lot of guys who are producing a ton of points on the power play. Batherson and Stutzla and Kachuk are about your only three you don't see that on contending teams, you know, like those are guys who you expect to produce on the power play. Batherson admittedly has exceeded my expectations in that regard. Uh, but I think it's coming for Dadnov, And I think people do need to be patient, like, like saying they're done with Dadnov. Like, are you kidding me? It's been like 30 games. Like, give me a break. Um, you know? So I, I think as the senators get better, and as he carves out a role where he's getting more ice time with Brady Kachuk, like I really want to see that. I really want to see him play with Brady Kachuk um, and, or even with Stutzla, you know, like get him with Stutzla and Norris, like see guys that can get him the puck. That's not going to be an amazing defensive line, but it's going to be a line that generates scoring chances. So I think some of that is on DJ Smith to kind of get him 
surrounded with better line mates. But I also think people do need to relax. And I know folks get upset at me when I tell them to relax. But I mean, it worked with Colin White last year. I, I wrote a whole article about why Colin White's going to be fine and everyone needs to chill out. And so far, that, that has me looking like a bit of a, a Nostradamus, if you will. So I think with Dadnov, um, there's a lot of things at play, like you mentioned. Um, but I also think that people need to kind of take a breath about it and as the team improves and as he's surrounded with better line mates, we're going to see more from Evgeny Dadnov. I don't think he's, he's done or he's washed by in, in any sense of the word. No. And I think the, the couple of things, yeah, like I, I, there's a couple of things that I think really frustrate me when I see the conversation around Dadanov, especially. And um, you know, like one, you said, you know, you mentioned how you saw people say they're done with them. And I've seen like, I've seen people just begging that uh, Seattle takes them in the expansion draft. I'm going, what? Like, why? And I'm protecting like, him as one of my forwards. In the I would too. And like, yeah, if you lose him, it's not the end of the world, but I'd rather have him than not have him. And the other thing is, I feel like people forget what his contract is. He's not making seven and a half, eight million million. No. They signed him for three years at five million a year. And even if, you know, this year, I think at the time that uh, I was, you know, talking to you about it, he had 11 points in 33 games, which again, not ideal. That's still a 28 point pace. I think 22 goal point or 22 goal pace. If you get 22 goals for a guy who's making five mil, you're probably not complaining about that too no, often. Right? Especially in a year where you're finishing last place in the division. Exactly. Right? And so, you know, that's been the biggest thing with me is I feel like people act as if, you know, because it was one of the richer contracts they gave it out in free agency, but that's because the team doesn't spend. It's not because he got a boatload of money. Right. And, yeah. um, I think and they finally, another... and they finally spend and now people are yeah. mad at them for spending, right? Like exactly. it's just, it's, like, it's nonsensical. Like, no, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, uh, I think you make a great point with where he came from Florida. I don't think people realize that he played 99% of his minutes with uh, Jonathan Huberto and uh, Barkov and like Barkov has been the most underrated guy for five years to the point where I don't think he's underrated. Everyone just realizes he's a top 10, top 15 center in yes. the league. Yeah. Jonathan Huberdeau, I think people probably underrate. He is like a top five, top 10 winger in the league. And I not many people notice that, um, but he played all of his minutes with them. So yeah, he was the trigger guy for them and he yeah. didn't have to drive his line or anything. And, and so anyone who expected him to be a 70 point guy was just going to be sadly disappointed no matter what right yeah like, i mean oh, i man. could sc- i could score 60 points on that panthers line, exactly you, know I mean? you, you throw me in front of the net and let them do all the work i'll, I'll go tap some in like <laughs> yeah, it's not like sure. that enough just did that he had a he has a great shot and and i do want to see him use it more and the other thing i think uh that just i think people would be looking at this different is and this is just bad luck in my opinion i don't think it's Evgeny Dadanov's fault he has two assists i no. would say that's probably more his teammate just can't finish or it's just been mm-hmm. bad luck whereas if he has, say, five more assists, which I don't think would be that unrealistic, say he gets a couple more on the power play, a couple more just random ones at five on five, well, yep. suddenly he's at, what, nine goals and six assists. So he's at 15 points in 33 games, and that's, you know, a 38-point pace. And now suddenly people are going, oh, yeah, it's a little disappointing, but what can you do? And mm-hmm. that's just the difference that literally, like, four or five unlucky or lucky bounces can make in a year. And to me, if that's the biggest difference between get this guy off my team and, oh, you know, this guy's been a little disappointing, but pretty good. I think he's probably closer to the pretty good side of things than he is the get him off my team thing, right? Like, Yeah. Again, passing the puck to Barkov and Huberto is very different than passing the puck to Tierney or Nick Paul. You know, you're just not getting the same level of offensive skill there. So I do think he needs to play up in the lineup. Like that's one thing I've been a little frustrated by is seeing – Chris Tierney and Connor Brown with Brady Kachuk. Like, I, I don't understand what, 
and again, I like DJ Smith. I have not, you know, had gripes about much of what he's done over the past two years, but I don't know what you're expecting to get out of that line. I think if you want Kachuk to get those guys going, okay, but you're doing so at the expense of Brady. Like Tierney and Connor Brown this year might be the worst finishers on the team. I, I don't think there's like how many breakaways has Connor Brown had this year? You know, like it's become a meme at this point. And Tierney, as good as he is uh, in his role, he's never been an offensive dynamo. Um, and to me, if you put Brady Kachuk with skilled players that can put the puck in the net or get him the puck at the net front, good things are going to happen. We've seen it on the power play. Like Stutzla with that just ungodly pass to him into the Edmonton crease for that tapping goal. Like that's what you want to see with Brady Kachuk. I think if you get Kachuk with guys like Colin White, who are going to be responsible defensively, but can also move the puck. Like Colin White's a good two-way center. And then get Dadnov on that line to just sit, like we said, in the high in the high slot and rip bombs from, you know, I, th- I think you're going to get good results from that. So that is something I want to see going forward. Or maybe even Kachuk, Norris, and Dadnov. You know, like just something. Get him with some skilled players that are complementary to his game. And I think you'll get results. But for now, it is a little bit frustrating to see him, to see how he's being deployed at five on five, at least. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I don't really have any argue, arguments with that. Uh, the other thing I want to get into real quick, and I'll let you go after this, but uh, um, I think it was this week. It was, I, I believe it was Gary Ochoa who came out and he was kind of floating out that I think management had kind of mentioned that this could be a quiet deadline for the Ottawa Senators. And when I heard that at first, I was like, that seems kind of unacceptable. And then I went and looked at their team and I went, well, there's not really many UFAs on this team. Um, this is where I want to, how, how let, let's try and set some reasonable expectations about who's going to be moved here. I think at this point, I would almost be disappointed if Ryan Dezingle isn't flipped for a pick. I, I love yeah. Ryan Dezingle. I think he's a great player, but just like they've already boosted his value where he has four goals in eight games to the point where I really do think they could probably get a fourth out of a team or something for him. That's the guy I think you have to move. You um, might, but, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say after that, I don't know if there's any names that I feel like guaranteed will move. You might get a second round pick out of Ryan Dezingle. I think the one thing that would prevent that, I think in a normal year, Ryan Dezingle probably gets you a second or third round pick uh, at the way he's playing right now. But I think the quarantine requirement devalues some of these players because if a team is trading for a guy from, if a U.S. team is trading for a guy from Canada, they don't have him for two weeks. You know, they have him for the playoff push, but they don't have him for the stretch run of the season. Um, so I think Dezingle would be the one guy that I, I do want to see get moved. I mean, if Ottawa wants to keep him at a, you know, at a low salary deal on the fourth line next year, I'm not complaining about that by any means that that said, you have to get Formanson in the lineup as well. So if you can do both, that's fine. But, uh, yeah, Dezingle would be the guy I would probably say I expect to move. I would be shocked if they're not trying to move guys like Eric Goodbranson and Braden Coburn, whether or not they will get to is a different question. Maybe Mike Riley gets moved. I think that's a guy who probably has some value for a playoff team. I think Goodbranson might even get flipped to a team that's looking for what Zach Bogosian provided to Tampa last year. Um, a guy, a seventh defenseman who can come in, play on a bottom pairing and be serviceable, throw some big hits and incur and clear the net front and get teams to not take liberties. Uh, I think Goodbranson could be traded in that sense. Wayne Scanlon seemed to suggest that maybe a rival, maybe as a rival GM is looking at Josh Brown. Um, and that's why it appears like, like Goodbranson practiced on the fourth pairing today. So it appears that he might actually get sat for Josh Brown tomorrow. 
So maybe Josh Brown gets a look from another team. I mean, he hasn't, he's played one game since February 11th. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know how much value he has um, or how interested teams are in him, but I, I think you're right. I think if we're narrowing it down to one guy who I would probably bet money that's going to get moved, it's a single. The rest in a normal year, I would say guys like Riley and guys like maybe even, and probably guys like even Gabranson get moved. Um, but in a year like this where the quarantine requirements throw such a wrench in things, you know, it's unprecedented and it, and it, uh, it complicates the deadline to agree to a degree that I don't think we've ever seen in, in an NHL season. So, but Dezingle would be my guy for sure. I would also say, I think Ottawa is in the favorable position of their selling, not buying. And the, de- the quarantine rules are nowhere near as restrictive for the States. Like if yeah. you get on a private chart, it's like three days for most places that you go, which is just, that kind of tells you how the States are handling COVID, but just from a purely <laughs> business perspective side of things, it's not the 14 days like it is here in Canada. So mm-hmm. it's a lot easier, I think. And yeah, if I'm the GM, I'm trying to sell every UFA I have. I think some smart team would really be smart to pick up Mike Riley for their third pair. I, I think he's really turned into a guy where he's going to have a lot of mistakes, but he does a lot of the small things. Right. And if you can get him for like, I would be asking for a third or fourth round pick. I think a team might be able to get him for a fifth or sixth. And yeah. again, if I'm Ottawa, he's basically found goods. I would flip him for that. But I really do think a smart team would pick up Mike Riley and, you know, see some success from that. Um, yeah. I would be trying to sell Eric Branson too. I know there's already been some rumors. They might want to bring him back for next year. Not happening. I, I just, I don't think you, I don't, I don't, I don't see how you can justify it. I'm sorry. I, I just, I they, don't. they said the same, they said the same thing about Ron Hainsey last year. I, I yeah. don't buy it. I don't think for all the crap that we give the senators about not listening to analytics and whatever, I think they know what they have in Eric Branson. And I don't think that's a guy they're bringing in long-term. I really don't. The thing about Ron Hainsey too, that at this point, man, and that's why I hope they don't do the same with uh, good Branson is that's why I was so disappointed. They didn't sell him last year. Like, um, uh, I don't think Andy they could. Green, Andy Green was going for a second round pick. And I, again, that's Lou Lamorello, but I'm um, like, I, I was shocked that no team wanted Ron Hainsey for even like a fifth or something like that. And I know sometimes it's like, well, what's the actual value on that? But if it's like, if it's the difference between 20 games of good Branson, which I just, I don't think it brings you that much value. Um, and maybe, maybe they just see it differently with the locker room and that's fine versus a low pick. Like I'm okay to swing with the low pick, but um, yeah, I, I think with Josh Brown, I would be quite, I would be pleasantly surprised if they could move him. I think the the second year on his contract might be the biggest uh, takeaway from Josh Brown. Although maybe someone team looks at that as we think he's got more in the tank and 1.2 is really cheap for what we yeah, think he can provide. So, so we'll see. Um, Brandon, thank you so much for joining me today. Plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Thanks for having me, man. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Mackey underscore written works at silver seven And the podcast is called internal budget new episodes every week. Most of the time, depending on how I'm feeling. Thanks for having me. Alex.